You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. AINC programming is brought to you in part by Weissman Family Dental in Boulder, Colorado. For over 25 years, Weissman Family Dental has been providing high-quality dentistry. They offer regular checkups, emergency care, and a wide range of specialty services. They also have staff that speak Spanish. If you are looking for a new dentist, find them at WeissmanFamilyDental.com or call them at 303-494-0101 and tell them Audio Information Network of Colorado sent you. Thank you for joining us for the Thursday, July 13, 2023 reading of the Boulder Weekly. My name is Eric Levine. News all aboard. Electric school bus tour and roundtable addresses climate, public health, and equity by Will Matuska, July 13, 2023. A four-star U.S. officer walks onto an electric school bus, but besides the familiar black and yellow exterior of the vehicle, this isn't a typical field trip. The officer in question is Admiral Rachel Levine, Assistant Secretary for the Department of Health and Human Services, HHS, in the Biden administration, and the first openly transgender federal official confirmed by the U.S. Senate. She visited Boulder for the recent July 10 ride-along with county commissioners, state representatives, and scientists to see up close how Boulder County is addressing climate impacts on public health. Stops on the eco-friendly bus tour included an air quality monitoring site at the Boulder Reservoir and a fully electric mobile home in Boulder. Cindy Copeland, Air and Climate Policy Advisor at Boulder County, spoke during the tour about air quality at the Boulder Reservoir monitoring site which tracks emissions, temperature, and humidity to help understand ozone levels. She said it's hard to tell her kid who has asthma not to go to practice because of unhealthy air, especially when ozone is invisible and odorless. The bus itself is owned and operated by the Boulder Valley School District, which bought Colorado's first electric school bus in March 2021 with funding from the state and federal government. Now the district has six buses in its fleet with plans to add more. Projects like these are commonplace in Boulder County where residents have long supported environmental initiatives like Boulder's Climate Tax, which raises $6.5 million per year for climate resilience projects, and the county's Wildfire Mitigation Sales Tax passed last fall. Such endeavors help form a narrative that the country's wheels are turning faster, excuse me, the county's wheels are turning faster, than other local governments when it comes to climate. But a later roundtable discussion hosted by the Admiral at the Boulder County Courthouse revealed that while sustainability-centered programs continue to be rolled out, some local communities are at risk of being left behind. The Underside 
The Centennial State has a reputation of being a beautiful place full of healthy people, but that's not everyone's experience. Poor ozone levels, exacerbated by climate change, especially now in the peak of summer, disproportionately harm children, underrepresented communities, and people with underlying health issues. The Environmental Protection Agency, EPA, classifies the Denver Metro and North Front Range as severe violators of federal ozone level limits. Equity was at the center of discussion during the packed post-tour roundtable discussion. The conversation included representatives from federal agencies like the EPA and the Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA, plus state lawmakers, Boulder County commissioners, and officials with the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment. Rene Millard Chacon, executive director of the environmental nonprofit Women, W-O-M-X-N, from the Mountain, spoke during the round table about ongoing environmental threats facing indigenous people in her area. Those ongoing issues include exposure to harmful chemicals and limited access to clean water. Quote, pollution is in our everyday life and how we live is a form of injustice, unquote, Millard Chacon said at the round table. The Adams County resident serves on the city council in nearby Commerce City, an area deemed by the EPA as, quote, overburdened by environmental pollution, unquote. Millard Chacon, whose background includes Diné, Chicana, and Filipino heritage, was one of a handful of indigenous voices who spoke about ongoing problems facing communities on the front lines of the climate crisis. She highlighted national solutions like universal health care, alongside local fixes like shifting more resources to community-led initiatives. Quote, right now, there's only one narrative out there, and it's from the top, says Lorena Gonzalez with Conservation Colorado, and it's disconnected from what we know the reality is on the ground, unquote. Levine said it was illuminating to learn about the underside of a place with a health-conscious reputation like Colorado. Compared to non-Native communities she's visited around the country, she says indigenous perspective like those she heard in Boulder are unique. Quote, the communities across the nation all want to be empowered to work themselves in their community, she says. But the idea that it is that, that that is part of their culture to heal the earth and that they have many of the solutions themselves if we're able to work with them is different, unquote. Levine says her office will respond to the roundtable's input with a community-based approach through the HHS Regional Department, which oversees six states, including Colorado. Boulder County Commissioner Ashley Stoltzman says the county emphasizes racial e equity as its first priority when approaching climate action. 
According to her, that helps keep diverse community voices like Millard Chacon and Gonzalez at the table. Quote, there's a lot of work that has to be done, and most of the things pertain to zero carbon emissions or everybody being electrified, she says. We'll never do that if we leave people behind, unquote. Of course, most of these conversations and goals aren't new. Gonzalez says these discussions between underrepresented community voices and governmental officials frequently happen, but are often not followed up with action. Quote, it becomes tokenization when we're invited to speak on these things, but there's no movement to actually address the things that we've talked about, she says. So then it just becomes a photo op, unquote. Gonzalez is hopeful this time is different. News, turf war. Booming prairie dog populations leave Boulder County with a removal conundrum by Sage Kelly, July 13, 2023. Editor's note. An earlier version of this story included an account of lethal prairie dog mitigation that has since been refuted by Boulder County. The story is being updated. A detailed correction is forthcoming in print and online. Prairie dog colonies expanded to more than 5,000 acres of city open space in Boulder last year, according to a city presentation in December 2022. Overpopulation issues stem outside the city, too. In the fall of 2022, BCPOS relocated approximately 250 prairie dogs from the Carolyn Holmberg Preserve at Rock Creek Farm to a neighboring location. In 2023, the efforts continue. Over the past month, Boulder County has trapped and relocated around half the prairie dog population from the Picture Rock Trailhead on Hale Ranch open space, right outside of Lyons, the first such intervention there in more than a decade. But these captured rodents aren't going off to greener pastures. They are being directly donated to the National Black-Footed Ferret Conservation Center near Fort Collins, where the prairie dogs are fed to the once endangered animal of its namesake. Mike Foster, the Agricultural Resources Division Manager at BCPOS, says they've seen a one-third prairie dog population increase at Picture Rock Trailhead over the past year, quote, and a tenfold increase in the last seven years, unquote. While some locals are perplexed by the need for removal, the department has received complaints about prairie dog damage from people who live near the trailhead. Quote, with any issue, there's a spectrum of opinions, Foster says. We have people throughout the county with opinions on how we should manage this. We try to find a reasonable balance to try and manage a variety of concerns, unquote. Quote, there are a lot of prairie dog colonies in this county, un unquote, says Robert Breckenridge, a Lyons resident and senior research scientist at the University of Colorado Boulder. Quote, 
Why are they focusing up here where there's barely anyone? Unquote. Foster says there are a number of reasons to control the rapid growth of prairie dog colonies, regardless of how many people reside nearby. At Picture Rock, county trail and recreation teams have found that the rodents have spread into the trailhead and parking lot, damaging land and creating dangerous burrows on walking trails. Despite their cute appearance, the rodents can also despoil farmland and contribute to the desertification of the landscape, leading to a lack of feeding ground for other animals. In the case of Picture Rock, there are no surrounding farms, but the county says the prairie dog destruction is enough to warrant action. Quote, We want to give priority to wildlife doing what wildlife does, Foster says. We only manage when we deem it necessary, unquote. War on Wildlife Kathleen Sands of the Lions Climate Action Group is one local resident who is raising concerns around the county's prairie dog removal efforts. She underscores the fact that Picture Rock is designated as a habitat conservation area by the county. Quote, we're not tree huggers. We understand that if things get out of control, you deal with it, Sands says. But these spaces are designated for prairie dogs to live undisturbed." Unquote. Foster says control of prairie dog populations in habitat conservation areas is protected under the city's, quote, carefully crafted, unquote, prairie dog management plan, last updated in 2022, which states, quote, Effects of prairie dog occupation will be monitored and evaluated annually. Non-lethal and lethal control may be implemented in habitat conservation areas if deemed necessary." Unquote. According to the plan, a number of factors can justify control measures, like colonies migrating onto adjacent properties, which Foster says is the main issue at Picture Rock. Breckenridge raises the possibility of creating natural barriers, like waterways or shrubs, to prevent prairie dogs from migrating away from the designated space. Foster notes that implementing these barriers would take time and effort away from current projects the county is managing on its more than 100,000 acres of open space. Quote, We are trying to look out for the entire ecosystem, Foster says. Sometimes there's an imbalance. In those cases, we make a very difficult decision to go in and implement management. Unquote. But Deanna Meyer, executive director at Prairie Protection Colorado, calls it a, quote, war on wildlife, unquote. She says habitat conservation areas, quote, were supposed to be protective, but BCPOS is going to continue to destroy these colonies. The people that have fought for decades to put protections up for prairie dogs are run into the ground again, unquote. According to BCPOS, 
the county is taking a holistic approach to ecosystem health through the removal of these misunderstood rodents who call our prairies home. As the debate continues to churn, Foster says to consider the nuance of the task ahead. Quote, there are very few things in life that are black and white, he says. Our prairie dog crew is dealing with these animals. They understand the importance of these animals. There's a lot of care here. It's not a wanton, reckless decision. Unquote. Opinion. Mountains Don't Need Hardware by Dana Johnson, Writers on the Range, July 13, 2023. We humans want the most out of life, so why shouldn't we push to get more of what we want? That's what some rock climbers must be thinking. They want to enter designated wilderness in order to drill permanent anchors into rock faces, turning these wild places into sports climbing walls. When the Wilderness Act became law in 1964, it put wildlife and wild lands first, decreeing that these special places should be left alone as much as possible. This unusual approach codified humility, arguing that some wild places rich in fauna and natural beauty needed as much protection as possible. So far, the act protects less than 3% of what Congress called, quote, untrammeled, unquote, public land in the lower 48. These are unique places, free of roads and vehicles, and most man-made intrusions that afflict the rest of America. The Wilderness Act also prohibits, quote, installations, unquote, but to get around this, a group called the Access Fund has persuaded friends in Congress to introduce a bill that would, in effect, amend the Wilderness Act. Introduced by Representative John Curtis, a Republican from the anti-environmental delegation of Utah and co-sponsored by Democrat Joe Neguse from Colorado, the Protect America's Rock Climbing Act PARC Act has been promoted as bipartisan. Yet over 40 conservation groups, from small grassroots greens to large national organizations, have written Congress to oppose the bill. Wilderness is not about human convenience, they say. It's about safeguarding the tiny pockets of wild landscape we've allowed to remain. The Park Act directs federal agencies to recognize the legal use of fixed anchors in the wilderness, a backdoor approach to statutory amendment that even the U.S. Forest Service and Department of Interior oppose. In a hearing on the bill, the Forest Service stated that, quote, creating new definitions for allowable uses in wilderness areas as the Park Act would do, has the practical effect of amending the Wilderness Act. It, it could have serious and harmful consequences for the management of wilderness areas across the nation. Beyond the permanent visual evidence of human development, 
Fixed anchors would attract more climbers looking for bolted routes and concentrate use in sensitive habitats. That impact is harmful enough, but the bill also sends a loud message. Recreation interests are more important than preserving the small bit of wilderness we have left. What's coming next is clear. Some mountain bikers, led by the Sustainable Trails Coalition, have introduced legislation to exempt mountain bikes from the prohibition on mechanized travel in wilderness. Then there are the trail runners who want exemptions from the ban on commercial trail racing. Drone pilots and hang gliders also want their forms of aircraft exempted. What's confounding is that climbing is already allowed in the wilderness. This bill is simply about using fixed bolts to climb as opposed to using removable protection. That's apparently confusing to some people. An article in the Salt Lake Tribune went so far as to wrongly state that, quote, a ban on anchors would be tantamount to a ban on climbing in wilderness areas, unquote. But now even some climbers are pushing back. The Montana writer George Ochensky, known for his decades of first ascents in the wilderness, calls the Tribune's position, quote, total bullshit, unquote. In an email, he said bolting routes, quote, bring sport climbing into the wilderness when it belongs in the gym or on non-wilderness rocks, unquote. For decades, many climbers have advocated for a marriage of climbing and wilderness ethics. In Chouinard Equipment's first catalog, Patagonia founder and legendary climber Ivan Chouinard called for an ethic of, quote, clean climbing, unquote, that comes from, quote, the exercise of moral restraint and individual responsibility, unquote. We don't like to think of recreation as consumptive, but it consumes the diminishing resource of space and protected space is in short supply as stressors on the natural world increase. With every, quote, user group, unquote, demand, the refuge for wild animals grows smaller. Meanwhile, a startling number of our animal counterparts have faded into extinction. As someone who loves trail running, I understand the allure of wedding a love of wild places with the love of adventure and sport. But I've also come to see that the flip side of freedom is restraint and wilderness needs our restraint more than ever. Dana Johnson is a contributor to Writers on the Range, an independent nonprofit dedicated to spurring lively conversation about the West. She is a staff attorney and policy director for Wilderness Watch a national wilderness nonprofit. This opinion does not necessarily reflect the views of Boulder Weekly. Entertainment, music, Big Sky Sun by Adam Perry, July 13, 2023. The latest offering from Fort Collins-based singer-songwriter Carrie Marin 
was inspired by paintings from his Montana childhood of an American West that was wild, beautiful, and populated by his indigenous ancestors. Quote, This land is talking to me, he sings in Big Sky Goes Down, the warm and sweeping opening track on his rich new folk blues album, Innocent Allies. Quote, Sounds become familiar, yet they fade from memory. Nothing is ordinary when the big sky sun goes down. Unquote. Each song on his new full-length LP, slated for a planned release this fall, was written by Marin as a sort of partner to a series of paintings by Charlie Russell that were ubiquitous in the big sky country of Marin's youth. The works were featured in magazines in big eastern cities to show what was going on in the mystical and mythical West. Russell's art, for better or worse, inspired many white people to move to the so-called, quote, frontier, unquote. Quote, he ended up hating that because he wanted Montana to stay exactly like it was, Marin says. He hated the fact that people came and cut it up and plowed it under, and in his eyes, ruined what was already perfect, unquote. Marin, a Crow tribal member with Assiniboine Sioux and Black heritage, was born in Billings and grew up surrounded by Russell's paintings in Great Falls, where the painter kept a home studio until his death in 1926. He even went to Charlie Russell High School. Quote, I didn't think much about it at the time, how we were growing up in a place where we were completely surrounded by his work, Marin says. All of our parents had his prints or sculptures. It was literally everywhere, all around town, the businesses. The state capitol has the most gigantic mural that he ever made in the chambers, unquote. A few years ago, Marin was thinking about writing and recording an album inspired by Russell's artwork, and the slowed-down pace of the pandemic turned out to be the perfect time. Quote, I was trying to think, how can I use everything that I have at my disposal at home? This was the time when we were all at home trying to figure out what am I going to do, and when is this going to end? We had no idea there was no expiration date, he says. I thought, I know all these paintings from when I was a child. My dad had all these books, Charlie Russell books, unquote. He painted my childhood playground. Morin's son dropped his grandfather's book off for Morin, who poured through them like he did as a kid. His Native American background made identifying with the paintings easy and special then and now. Quote, it's almost like we're in the paintings. He painted what turned out to be where I grew up and where I rode horses in the middle of nowhere. I would ride to no particular place for hours and just go out in the fields and just wander around. He painted my childhood playground, essentially, he says. I looked at a lot of those paintings, and I tried to write the backstory to that moment that the paintings depict and what might have happened afterwards. I did that 13 times or something, unquote. 
that, quote, 13 times or something, unquote, resulted in Innocent Allies, his ninth record, the title of which refers to horses. Morin's guitar playing is famously gorgeous, soulful, and intricate, matched with a depth of songwriting that takes listeners on an easygoing, poignant, and affecting road trip through the Montana of Charlie Russell's time. Morin has been in Fort Collins for many years and now tours the United States incessantly with his wife and musical collaborator Celeste after traveling the world as a sideman for singer-songwriter and storyteller Pura Fey. He says he's, quote, trying to create a narrative, unquote, for the release of Innocent Allies, exploring the possibility of packaging the record with extensive liner notes and perhaps even reproductions of Russell's paintings. As that unfolds, he and Celeste will be on the road, Wyoming, Nebraska, California, Montana, and beyond, listening to what the land has to say. Quote, the relationship between me and the land includes everywhere I've been, all the way from New Mexico up to Canada along the Rocky Mountains, and the Black Hills in that area too, Morin says. It's all had a huge influence on what I do and the songs I've written and the guitar styles I've tried to pursue. It's all rolled up in this kind of weird long history of keeping all those things in mind while trying to drive 90 miles an hour with a coffee and a cigarette. On the bill, Carrie Marin, 8 p.m., Friday, July 14, Oscar Blues Grill and Brew, 303 Main Street in Lyons, free. Entertainment, stage, then and now. Trailblazing Asian authors step out of history and onto the stage in Bypassing World Premiere by Tony Tresca, July 13, 2023. When Cecilia J. Pang set out to write a play based on the writings of two historical figures, she didn't expect to reunite with someone from her own past. The CU Boulder theater professor had begun work on a production called Bypassing, exploring the legacy of sisters Edith and Winifred Eaton, regarded as the first Asian women authors in North America. When she got an email from Dr. Mary Chapman, a Winifred Eaton scholar and professor at the University of British Columbia. The two academics, it turned out, shared a special connection beyond the material at hand. Quote, we chatted about bypassing and she promised to help get the word out about the play, Pang says. Then Mary asked if I had played The Fool in a high school production of King Lear near Niagara Falls, which I had. I could not believe that I was reconnecting with a high school classmate over the Eaton sisters' writing." Unquote. The sisters' story had long fascinated Pang. Both siblings, who were born to an English father and a Chinese mother, used pen names when writing about their experience as mixed-race immigrants. 
Edith used the pseudonym Sui Sin Far for her work focusing on the Chinese experience in 19th century America, and Winifred selected the name Onoto Watana as her primary moniker as an author and screenwriter. Quote, I wanted to write bypassing because I felt like people needed to know about these women, Pang says. I had been trying to write this play for many years, but got stuck because I was too focused on trying to make their stories theatrical rather than just telling their stories. This adaptation focuses on giving the two sisters a platform to introduce themselves and tell some of their stories through vignettes." Unquote. The world premiere of Pang's stage adaptation of the Eaton Sisters' short stories runs at the People's Building in Aurora from July 14 to 16. Bypassing is the third production from Insight Collab Theater, previously known as Theater Esprit Asia, TEA, Colorado's first and only Asian American theater company, following their devised piece, Apart Slash Together, in 2020, an original musical, Say My Name, in January 2023. A Complex Relationship Inside Collab Theater's mission is to, quote, Spotlight inclusive, innovative, and inspiring works to eliminate our shared human experience, unquote. Pang is committed to broadening the company's audience by sharing narratives that promote multiculturalism. The, com the company prioritizes diverse casting, training for artists of color, and providing a platform for works like Bypassing that explore issues surrounding identity, race, and privilege. Quote, I love being able to share stories by these two Asian writers that many people may not know about, says Bypassing actor Kim Egan. I think their stories provide a snapshot of what life was like at that time period for Asian and mixed-race people in North America. It is interesting to see the themes that are still relevant over 100 years later." Unquote. As a transracial adoptee, a term describing a child adopted by parents of a racial or ethnic background different from their own, Egan relates to the feelings that the sisters describe in their work. Quote, I know what it's like to grow up in a predominantly white society, she says. Much like the characters in the play, I also struggled with feeling like I didn't belong to either community. Unquote. Egan and other performers say they are grateful to Insight Collab Theater for bringing so many Asian American artists together to tell a story of the diaspora here on the Front Range. Quote, As an Asian American actor, these opportunities aren't always easy to come by, says bypassing actor Will Choi Edelson. I think a lot of the characters in the play have a complex relationship with the way they are perceived because of their race, which feels familiar to me." Unquote. Pang notes that the upcoming premiere is a, quote, no-frills production focused on storytelling, unquote. 
Because the goal of bypassing is to highlight the powerful work of these trailblazing women, Pang's direction emphasized the Eaton sisters' own writing over theatrical artifice. Quote, I was struck by the simplicity of these women's stories and didn't want to distract from their words, Pang says. Even though we are telling an Asian story, I hope that people from all walks of life attend. The intent of this production is to introduce these authors to an American audience. In my dreams, people who have never heard of the Eaton sisters will come to see bypassing, find the history interesting, and want to learn more about them." Unquote. On stage, bypassing by Insight Collab Theater, various times July 14 through 16, the People's Building, 9995 East Colfax Avenue in Aurora. Tickets cost $20 to $30, and you can get more information at insightcolab.squaresite, excuse me, insightcolab.square.site. Features Weed Between the Lines, The Seventh Psychedelic. Six psychedelic drugs are currently legally available for therapeutic use in Colorado, and there may soon be one more. By Will Brenza, July 13, 2023. Colorado took a leap into uncharted waters with the passage of SB 23-290, the Natural Medicine and Legalization Bill. See Weed Between the Lines, Laying Down the Law, May 11, 2023. That bill decriminalized five natural psychedelic substances for therapeutic use, psilocybin, psilocin, DMT, ibogaine, and mescaline. On top of that, licensed physicians in this state can also legally prescribe the FDA-approved ketamine nasal spray or tablets for patients suffering from specific mental health disorders. That's six psychedelic substances that are now legally available for Coloradans suffering from treatment-resistant depression, anxiety, addiction, post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, obsessive-compulsive disorder, OCD, addiction, and more. But one substance that remains illegal, at least for now, is considered by some to be the most effective PTSD treatment ever created, commonly called molly or ecstasy, 3,4-methylene-dioxymethamphetamine, MDMA, isn't a classic psychedelic. Technically, it's an empathogen and tactogen with stimulant and minor psychedelic properties. And according to the federal government, it is a highly dangerous, highly addictive Schedule I substance with no known medical benefits. Scientists tend to disagree with that, though, 
As our understanding of this drug has grown, along with research conducted by organizations like the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, MAPS, the psychiatric benefits possessed by MDMA are showing greater and greater potential. MDMA was invented in 1912 by the drug company Merck, and in fact, it was first used to enhance psychotherapy in the 1970s. But by the 1980s, it had been adopted as a party drug. It was classified as a Schedule I substance in 1985 and subsequently found its way into concerts, dance parties, raves, and music festivals over the next 40 years via the black market. But as the science of psychedelics has slowly progressed, so has our understanding of this strange molecule's potential uses and benefits. Throughout the 90s and into the aughts, MAPS funded many different clinical trials around the globe investigating MDMA-assisted psychotherapy for PTSD and more. It wasn't until 2004 that the FDA and DEA approved the first U.S. clinical trial of MDMA in humans. The study, published in the Journal of Psychopharmacology in 2010, was a randomized placebo-controlled phase two trial with 20 patients, all suffering from treatment refractory PTSD. At the end of the study, 83% of the participants no longer qualified for PTSD as measured by the clinician-administered PTSD scale, CAPS. In 2006, MAPS funded a phase two study of MDMA for PTSD treatment that showed a similar reduction in CAPS scores with even greater reductions at the one-year follow-up. Quote, if you were to design the perfect drug to treat PTSD, MDA, MDMA would be it, unquote. Rick Doblin, founder and president of MAPS, recently told the Washington Post. But PTSD isn't all this drug can treat. MDMA has also shown promise as a couples therapy drug, a treatment for anxiety in autistic adults, anxiety in those facing life-threatening illnesses, and even for treating eating disorders. According to MAPS, since the classification of MDMA as a Schedule I substance, quote, there have been over 5,000 articles written about the compound in academic journals, and over 1,100 volunteers have taken MDMA in clinical settings. Still, MDMA was not included in the ballot measure or subsequent bill, SB 23290, that decriminalized psychedelics for psychotherapy in Colorado. According to state and federal law, possession of less than four grams of MDMA is a class four felony in Colorado, and anything more than that is a class six felony. That is, until the federal government permits the use of MDMA itself. In June 2022, Governor Jared Polis signed HB 22-1344 into law, 
the, quote, FDA-approved prescription 3,4-methylene-dioxymethamphetamine drug use, unquote, bill, would legalize prescribing, possessing, and using MDMA if and when the Food and Drug Administration, FDA, eventually approves the substance as a prescription drug, which could happen sooner in the U.S. than one might expect. MAPS has already applied for FDA approval of MDMA, and Doblin is hopeful for its chances of success. He told Fox Business Live that it's, quote, quite likely that FDA will indeed approve MDMA-assisted therapy for PTSD, we think sometime around April-May 2024, unquote, at which point Colorado will follow suit and this state will then have seven different psychoactive drugs at its disposal to treat some of the most insidious mental health disorders facing Coloradans today. Cuisine nibbles. Do cookbooks still matter? Despite recipe-generating AI and search engines, printed food guides are still flying off the shelves by John Lendorf, July 13, 2023. On a recent visit to the Peppercorn Cookware Store on the Pearl Street Mall, I found myself gawking at the hundreds of cookbooks lining the walls to the ceiling. Who buys all these books, I wondered, and will they actually cook using any of the recipes? I have a love-hate relationship with the several hundred cookbooks in my collection. I've halved the haul after two moving yard sales, trimmed it to the essentials. The thing is, I almost never cook using recipes inside any of them. I get ideas from cookbooks, not formulas. When I really need a recipe, like for baking, I use Google. Some of my food books are for reading. Others look cool, and a few are precious collections of family recipes. I'm not getting rid of them. My huge collection of local cookbooks will eventually get donated to the Boulder historical folks. 100 years from now, our descendants may want to know what their grandparents ate in the 1990s. My first Nibbles column about cookbooks appeared in the mid-80s for the Daily Camera, when cookbooks, newspapers, and magazines were our only source of recipes. After 40 years of writing about food, I must ask the question, do cookbooks still matter? When I shared my existential dilemma with friends and acquaintances on social media, their responses reminded me why I love cookbooks and why the printed versions are likely to endure in a digital future. Some friends admit they mainly get recipes from the internet, but many others rose to the defense of recipe collections. Quote, cookbooks matter so much, Kate Lacroix wrote in response. They do provide a springboard but they often contain great pantry suggestions and some even sneak in some technique. When I redesigned my kitchen, I had a special cookbook shelf built in. I also built a bed. Priorities, unquote. 
Award-winning Denver cookbook author Adrian Miller says he owns thousands of cookbooks. Quote, I cook from them until I get the hang of the recipe. Unquote. Miller's suggested reading, Taste of Country Cooking by Edna Lewis. Many folks recommended specific cookbooks that have dependable recipes, including such major classics as the Betty Crocker Cookbook, the Moosewood Cookbook, the Fanny Farmer Cookbook, How to Cook Everything, and the only cookbook I think every cook should own, The Joy of Cooking. Some of my foodie friends are admitted cookbook collectors, possibly even cookbook hoarders. Quote, I love everything about them, wrote Jody Papma of Slow Food Boulder County. I have old ones, new ones, complex and colorful books. I use them for menu ideas primarily. Some of my books are compilations with beautiful pictures, and I have never made a recipe out of them. Others, like How to Bake Everything by Mark Bittman, I use almost weekly." Unquote. Others swear by the recipes in Fast, Fresh, and Green, Williams' Sonoma Pizza, and Pie in the Sky, Successful High-Altitude Baking, plus Priya Krishna's Indianish, John Ash's From the Earth to the Table, and the definitive Cajun Creole collection, River Road Recipes. Quote, my must-have hard-copy cookbook is the Tassahara Bread Book. I use almost every recipe, cornbread, muffins, pancakes, etc., wrote Heidi Kessler. I like it because its baseline is whole grains and because many measurements are a bit of this and a touch of that. I like flexible recipes, and that's hard to get in baking. It was a life changer in terms of bread baking, unquote. My respondents say they experience some cookbook guilt and vow to actually use them as more than decor. As for myself, I don't worry about having cookbooks next to the stove. I figure that if I have Jacques Pepin, Julian Child, Tony Bourdain, and Mom on the kitchen shelf, I'll never cook alone. Do cookbooks still matter to you? Do you have any printed cookbooks that you actually use when you're cooking? Let us know, nibbles at boulderweekly.com. Nibbles Index, we pay for recipes. According to the NPD group, we buy about 20 million cookbooks a year, the fourth largest category of nonfiction sold in the United States quote, easy recipes, unquote, was cited as the top reason by 60% for buying cookbooks. About 39% consider themselves to be cookbook collectors, none admitted to being cookbook hoarders. Local food news. Boulder-born, fast, casual concept Pizzeria Locale is officially gone after the remaining Denver locations were shuttered recently by owner Denver-born Chipotle Mexican Grill. The original Pizzeria Locale, an extension of next-door Frasca Food and Wine, was recently revamped with a new name, Pizzeria Alberico, 
and a wider menu. Zoe Mama is moving from its original location at 2010 10th Street to 919 Pearl Street, a former Chipotle location. Coming soon, Locavore, 2690 28th Street, Boulder, Argentos Empanadas, 1030 East South Boulder Road, Louisville, Miko Coffee Collective, 1280 Centaur Village, Lafayette. Museum of Boulder hosts The Culture of Tea, an international interactive tasting with Boulder Dushanbe Tea House owner Sarah Martinelli at 6 p.m. on Thursday, July 20. Boulder-based American Home Brewers Association is introducing Home Fermentation Day on August 5. Beyond beer, it includes all fermented foods. Plan accordingly. Words to chew on. Immigrating flavors. Quote, The food in such places is so tasteless because the members associate spices and garlic with just the sort of people they're trying to keep out, unquote. Calvin Trillin, author of Alice Let's Eat. John Lendorf hosts Radio Nibbles at 8.20 a.m. Thursdays on KGNU. Events. Hanuman Yoga Festival, Saturday, July 15th, actually Friday, July 14th, through Sunday, July 16, 9 a.m. to 10 p.m. all three days at the Yellow Barn Farm, 9417 Foothills Highway, Boulder. Price $60 to $399. Use code DAR to save 10%. Yoga, Music, and Climate Consciousness. You are invited July 13 through 16, 2023. The mighty Hanuman Festival will return July 13 through 16, 2023. Join us for an intimate retreat-style gathering with a limited number of passes. The festival will take place on Boulder County's Yellow Barn Farm with locally sourced farm-to-table Saturday dinner included for all three-day pass holders. Join renowned leaders in yoga, mindfulness, farming, and climate consciousness for a bliss-filled weekend of transformation. Learn more at Hanuman Festival, that's H-A-N-U-M-A-N, HanumanFestival.com. Events, World Snake Day, Kids Concert at My Nature Lab, Sunday, July 16, 2023, 10 to 11 a.m. My Nature Lab, 1100 Pine Street, Unit B, Louisville, Colorado. Jeff and Paige perform a free outdoor reptile-themed kids concert at this half-day festival at Louisville's My Nature Lab. Thank you for joining us for the Boulder Weekly. My name is Eric Levine. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at 
www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.